on the Talkback Show, on the radio, or whatever audiovisual device you choose to use. Welcome to the GBC Podcast, where we talk about the Packers in our hometown of Green Bay. This is episode 22, created on September 28, 2022. Hi, I'm John. I'm in Appleton, Wisconsin, along with me, Jeff in Minnesota, and Neil on the East Coast. Say hello, gentlemen, and uh, tell us what you're drinking. Hello, gentlemen. Uh, tonight, I'm drinking something a little special. I'm having an Alesmith barrel-aged Speedway stout. Very, very tasty. Good and good for you. I am having something special as well. I am having a, a Nano Vineyard Zeitgeist Chard 2020 Chardonnay. This is a homemade Chardonnay, the first uh, wine bottled from my vineyard. Oh, congratulations. I am having an orange whip. Mm. Should have coordinated that one for three orange whips. Exactly. I'll get you guys the recipe. That All right, is. you can find us on YouTube and Twitter at Green Bay Chat and Facebook at the GBC Podcast, Green Bay Chat. Uh, the audio is also available on Spotify and Anchor by searching for Green Bay Chat. Our topics for the week, we're going to certainly review the uh, Packer game in Tampa Bay as well as look at some games around the league in week three. We have our Packer player of the past and a preview of week four and the Patriots game and our Packer history as well. But let's start with that game in Tampa Bay. Good thing it was last week for starters because <laughs> they are getting pummeled. Unfortunately, our, you know, we're, we're thinking about everybody in Florida. We know them, and and you know, even the Buccaneers team had to move uh, for playing. We'll talk about that later on where their game might be headed. But let's talk about the game itself for this week. Packers come away with a win, fourteen to twelve. I really feel though, guys, that if if the final score would have been a Packers loss 14 to 12. We'd have be having a significantly different conversation uh, about some facets of the game, but Neil, you're always the one with the stats. Tell us about that 14 to 12 win. The, the most important stat is 14 to 12. We won. We won. <laughs> we beat the Buccaneers. We beat Tom Brady. We won in Florida in September. That's all that matters in the end. Uh, obviously we know that we started out incredibly hot and then just hung on for dear life at the end. Um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll take it, whatever it takes in order to get a victory. We, we know the, the big level statistics as far as how we started at five of five on third downs and then missed eight in a row. But overall, our, our statistics, statistics were good. Rodgers, 27-35, 255 yards, only sacked once. I think the only sacked once was the most important statistic on yeah. offense as far as the game was concerned. We didn't run the ball a ton, but on the other hand, we ran it better than Tampa Bay. Uh, Dobbs, I know Jeff wants to talk about Romeo Dobbs. Uh, it was his breakthrough game. You know, we only had 14 first downs in the game. And so may not be great. We had eight penalties for 65 yards also may not be great, but we did enough that was necessary to win. And certainly we were helped by the fact that Tampa Bay was missing their top three receivers, but I'm not going to complain. We've been in situations like that before. Mm -hmm. um, it was, it was a, it was a beautiful game as far as the fact that we won and our defense looked really good for the first three plus quarters. Um, obviously they made a game of it right at the end, but Tom Brady through three quarters, um, was 18 of 26 for 147 yards a 5.7 yard per attempt. Um, if you're holding Tom Brady like that through th three quarters, you're going to be in a position to win Leonard Fournette only 12 rushing attempts for 35 yards. I think um, that was, that was huge. That was huge. And you know, it's the yards per attempt was obviously really good, but also the fact mm -hmm. that they couldn't get anything going as far as the rushing games yes. were concerned is a, is a huge element. 
Um, our defense looked like the defense that we thought they were going to be, at least through most of the game. And I know John has some complaints about some <laughs> elements of the game, but uh, yeah, Devondre Campbell, 14 tackles in the game yeah. and one critical pass defended. Rasul Douglas, mm -hmm. eight tackles and two passes defended. Um, Nixon for present, Keyshawn Nixon with seven tackles. The, the defense, you know, players coming out of nowhere, but also the players from last year that we hope we're going to continue did actually continue. There were a lot of really positive elements as far as the game was concerned and that allows us to overlook the more negative elements and then the most positive elements as far as the game is concerned beyond the first two drives pat o'donnell punting seven punts for 339 yards um, both teams punters actually out, out punted their quarterbacks in a throwback to that 1977 <laughs> packers buccaneers game where uh, both both uh, punters were 300 or more yards um Globally, though, you know, with Pat O'Donnell, though, five punts inside the 15-yard line. Um, the Packers are actually number one in the NFL in opponent starting field position, and that relates a lot to our special teams. I think we're getting to the point that maybe we can stop calling them the asshats. We are by that by that number. I know you have your concern. <laughs> I know you're afraid of being jinxing things, but we are getting to that point. We are winning field position battles on special teams. And in a game like that against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and a game that against Tom Brady, those difference. are the things that make a difference. No, agreed. Um, you know, it was there. I'm still going to go with the asshats. I know during the game back and forth, you would say something and you jinx the shit out of it a couple of times. We're just, we're, we're, we're they're still the asshats. I mean, they're, they're, they're our asshats and they're, they're, they've made a quite a bit of progress. Uh, as you said, uh, Pat O'Donnell. Um, so he's, um, I, couple historically kind of where he fits in here as well so um with those five punts inside the 20 yard line he uh as for packer he tied that's most tied for most in a single game since 1976 and right now he's number two in the league um with nine total so the switch to to pat o'donnell hey that worked out really really well and if you know nfc special teams player of the week he's our ass hat and um we're I think the 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 where they kind of were the asshats, but it wasn't totally their fault. Was that when they had uh, Tampa in the end zone? Basically, they kicked out or they punted out. They had that uh, that penalty that uh, that was that was kind of a killer because it was, I, it was that, a thirty yard change change of field position, but it wasn't a killer in the end, and it's a kill wasn't a killer because correct. But on it took, average, they did what they needed to do. That's that's true. And but getting back also to the defense um, right now, the the Packer defense leads the league in opponent third down uh, percentage conversion, 22.6. And for a Packer defense, this is this is also historically pretty good. Um, so that's that's great. And, 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 speci uh, and specifically in the Tampa Bay game, Tampa Bay was two of 11 on third down conversion. So yes. we did the job that we needed to do on third down. Well, and even more so to, to dissect this a little bit more third and long six or more yards. The defense is tied right now for first in the NFL. They've only given up one conversion out of 18 attempts. That's 5.6%. If you're scoring at home, and uh, Cincinnati, interestingly enough, um, also has that uh, that same conversion rate or lack thereof. So that that's also good. So when obvious passing downs, they're not giving away the uh, the fourth and twenty nines. I, I just I will say again that I've never been so pissed off about a win <laughs> in my life. 
Yeah. So tell us about that, John. Please. You, you have a deep, and, and all the numbers are awesome. The eye test on this game was spectacular through everything but the final Tampa drive. You have a defense that is dominating throughout the game in every aspect. They have held everything in hot. check. You, you talked about last week keeping Leonard Fournette in check. They did, making mm -hmm. sure Brady has no one to pass to. Yep. And and then there's three minutes left in the game, and they have to go 89 yards, and they have to score a touchdown. Mm -hmm. And they do exactly that in 13 plays. It looked like a hot knife through cold butter. And you had, yes, I, I'm sure that there were ghosts in people's eyes of Kevin King getting burned in man coverage and giving up a huge touchdown. But there has to be something in between playing nuts tight on the line and loose and keeping everything Walking in front down of you the field. and letting, letting every play go for 13 yards. It was ridiculous how just with ease they moved down the field. And it, and it wasn't even – it's not like Brady was a surgeon. There were no tight throws on that. Everything was wide open, yards after the catch, and they just marched down the field. And you get to the point where now they're – you know after the penalty, the bat pass interference penalty on Amos, they're at the three-yard line, and you're hoping, okay, there's nowhere really for you to keep them – loose be loose and keep them in front of you any longer let's hope that you tighten up here and something happens and and alas it didn't and they figured it out like neil said on the on the two-point conversion but i was also hearkening back then upset at the end of the first half they did the same thing tampa bay got the ball and at the 25 yard line they went 49 yards and fumbled the ball a nice hit by adrian amos and quay walker to get the ball out of perryman and, and get the ball back but same thing, it was loose and kept everything in front. It was a totally different scheme, a totally different game plan from what you've played the rest of the game. And I know yeah. what you're thinking. John, it's the end of the, the half, the end of the quarter. They're playing loose. It's a prevent type defense. They want to make sure that blah, 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 blah. Yep. But when Green Bay got that ball back at the end of the first half with 41 seconds left, you know that they were in a position and they were playing. They weren't playing to just run the clock out. They were playing to move the ball down to try to get a scoring drive out of it. And how did Tampa play their defense? Did they play loose and keep everything in front of them? No, they shut everything down and they were right up on the line. They forced Rodgers to make one bad throw and then the other incompletion because everybody was covered. He overthrew Lazard and that was it, a three and out. They played tight, they played strong. And I have a hard time with this saying that Tampa made adjustments better in game than Green Bay did. And I would even hearken to say Tampa made better adjustments at halftime than Green Bay did because defensively they shut us down in that second half. Uh, well, both offenses were shut down for that matter. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of punting. Yeah. If you, if you're, if you're a big punter fan, then you really enjoyed the second half. That's so so sure. what, what's the saying uh, prevent defense prevents you from winning. Right. And, and it, and it came true. And that's why like I said, there's gotta be something in between. There has to be something in between. Do you just play your normal defense? Do you continue to put that pressure on like you've been doing? There's gotta be something in between because that, that last Tampa drive was infuriating to watch. I mean, I, I think that you're right about the halftime adjustment. So that in the end, the Bucks adjusted better than we did at halftime. And that's what allowed the game to be close despite us being clearly the better team in the first quarter yeah. of the game. Um, you know, and you look at it as far as Rodgers, the Buccaneers blitz Rodgers 
Uh, 17 times, Rodgers was 14 of 17 for 160 yards and two touchdowns on those blitzes. And what did they do in the second half? Well, they did the standard thing that you should be doing against Rodgers, which is they decided not to blitz. You look at how Brady adjusted to the fact that he didn't have his top three wide receivers. He had a 2.17 seconds average time to release, which is the fastest in the entire NFL in week two. They basically were going after everything as fast as they humanly can. Now, a consequence of that uh, was that they didn't have a single passing play over 25 yards, but it also meant that the only place we were able to get pressure was from our interior. And the fact that Rashawn Gary and Kenny Clark had three pressures each points directly to the fact that we need those interior people to do anything to get pressure on Brady when he's throwing that quickly. But I think that's exactly what you've got going on at the end, that Brady's got the ability to throw it quickly. He's got people that can get open enough quickly, um, not that he has starters again, but they had the mm -hmm. ability to just and give what the Packers gave them. Well, and it was abundantly clear that if you got anywhere close to Mr. Brady, he was going down <laughs> a couple of those those sacks were um <clears throat> there wasn't a lot of contact shall we say with, with yeah. some of those socks <laughs> sacks um one thing i forgot to mention here and just i thought found this interesting in all the packer games that have ever been played this is the first 14 to 12 victory in team history not shocking that? given that given that 12 is just a stupid score for a football game yeah, I thought although, that although, was... although stupid scores were re replicated throughout the weekend, <laughs> Very especially, much so. especially the 11 10 game. Let's uh switch kind of from the defense here, shortcomings. Let's go kind of to the offense. And you mentioned it before, Neil. I want to talk a little bit about Romeo Dobbs. So, okay, I think we might have a, an emerging, uh, uh, an emerging wide receiver here now. It's his name is not Christian Watson. It's but and we have really yet to see him um, at least catch the ball. So right now, Mr. Dobbs is fourth among rookie receivers with 14 catches through three games. Um, and on the Packers side, that's tied for most by a rookie through three games since 1950. OK, James Max Jones. McGee. What? Max McGee, right? 19. Uh, no, no, no. Actually, oh, 50, so no, it's oh, James 50, Jones had yeah. that many catches where you're thinking Max McGee, he, um, he had nine catches in a game as a rookie right. on December 12th, 1954. That is the Packer record for number of catches by a rookie. How about that? That, that, that list that you gave the top four, uh, Dobbs is also the only one, not a first round draft pick. The other three were all drafted mm -hmm. before green Bay had a chance to make their selection this year as well. And I think yes, all three indeed. of them were, uh, when we did our draft preview, all three of them were guys that <laughs> people would say, we got to get that guy in green Bay. Yeah. So, you know, hoping that, that Christian Watson, you know, gets through injuries or whatever and gets over whatever it is and he will contribute. But I mean, we're, we're looking at potentially two, if he like, is good and Dobbs ends up being great. That's a win-win. Overall, though, on the week, uh, two scoring drives, and then the third one thwarted with a fumble. But really, after that, there were no scoring drives in the rest of the game. So, as I mentioned earlier, you know the defense, yep, played strong throughout the game. Had a couple of two drives that that I'm upset about. But I think that the offense, though, too, while they did, I think, put up good numbers, uh, as we said, Tampa really did have good adjustments defensively. But I think you've got to find a way to do more than surprise a team, get your scoring drives early, and then just hope to hang on because there yeah. should have been 
another scoring drive somewhere in the second half. There had to, there's got to be some other adjustments that that offense can make uh, on the fly to get things working once they realize the defense has picked up on, on their nuances. Well, I mean, you just sort of go like the overall big picture numbers look really good, but the Packers still only had 14 first downs in the game. And so 14 first downs says that there is something that is not working as far as the offense is concerned. Well, oh for eight streak of not getting a third down. I mean, that was, I mean, just one by penalty or by luck or something in there. It just was not happening. And what I, during the game, I know I, I was getting kind of frustrated with the offense too. And it was like, why are they not doing, you know, more jet sweeps or just kind of changing it up? It seems like the offense got pretty vanilla then as well. Even though Rogers wasn't pressured that greatly, it just, there was still something that just got really vanilla and it was off. I mean, they, they committed or they stayed committed to the running game, which was good, but there was nothing more creative in the passing game. And Rogers was not throwing it downfield. That was the other thing. It almost looked like the, dare I say, you know, the dink and dunk, the, the bears, you know, five yard out passes and things like that, you know, give them a chance, throw it downfield a little more, see what happens, get that, maybe get that offensive uh, or defensive pass interference it's worth a shot because it wasn't nothing was working and uh if other defenses are going to key on that say okay we're just going to sit back and try and let rogers you know pick us apart it doesn't he he either can't or, or the way the plays are being called it's 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 not a good offensive look for us yeah five, five for five to start the game on third down conversions finishing up six of 15 and that sixth one not coming until the final drive yeah. And then, and then they failed on the last third, third down conversion, having to punt. And then, as we talked about earlier, Tampa uh, on their scoring drive. But as Neil alluded to earlier, the good news is there is only one statistic that matters, and that is the final score. And it's the, it's the number points. in the W column. And Green Bay walked away <laughs> with this with a, with a two and one record. With that, uh, let's talk about some of those major statistics for other teams. Neil, taking a look around the league, who who got a win this week that they needed and and who didn't, uh, who played well and who didn't. So I think the game that to me was the most important as far as the NFC is concerned is the Cowboys against the Giants. It was not a barn burner of a game. Both teams seemed like they wanted to give it away, but the Cowboys moving to two and one and showing the defense that they did against a mobile quarterback like Daniel Jones is something that I think was specifically impressive. Um, They were a team that needed the victory and being able to figure out how to get a victory when you're not playing your best is one of those critical skills that moves you up into the upper tier as far as uh, playoff position and being ready for the playoffs are concerned. Mm-hmm. I still think Philadelphia is the best team in the NFC East. They had the by far the most impressive game as far as the teams in the NFC this week. Jalen Hurts, uh, 22 of 35, 340 yards and 9.7 yard per attempt average three touchdowns, no interceptions. I think that the Eagles are definitely a team that we need to be concerned with again, but I think the Cowboys are the team that did something that they needed to do. And there were long periods of that game where it didn't look like they were going to do it. And it was a question of, well, well neither team are the, are the Cowboys or the Giants going to shit the bed. And in the cow, in the end, the Cowboys made the plays that they needed to make. Yeah. And McCarthy keeps his job for another week. Well, and the other game that I think you would have to touch base on as being important to what we would look at, Jeff, is the the Detroit-Minnesota game over by you. And Detroit, in classic Detroit, nobody loses a game like the Detroit Lions, and they (laughs) showed it again on Sunday. No, they they managed to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory yet again. You know, I read a number of articles, and, you know, the 
Detroit's trying to change the culture. They're trying to do, you know, not be Detroit, right? Uh, and put together some wins on the road. And they were dominant. I mean, they looked really good. They jumped out to a big lead um, in Minnesota, too. And it's a loud place to play that that horn that we all... I had to turn the game off because of the fucking horn. But... Yeah, or just mute it. So the point is, is that it, it is a tough environment, U.S. Bank Stadium. So, um, And they came in and they just dominated and they let they let the Vikings hang around and Kirk cousins being Kirk cousins is will find a way sometimes. And he did. And, uh, you know, big, big, um, victory for the Vikings, especially against a, a division opponent, but, oh man, Detroit, they had it, but, but this is not oh, three weeks in it. a row for Detroit. Their defense has allowed a ton of points in the first three weeks of the season. And yeah. if they can't figure out a solution to that, um, they're going to, I mean, they're certainly capable of being frisky, but if they can't figure out a solution yeah. to their defense, they're not going to be doing anything this year. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's where they're at. They're kind of frisky. They're like, okay, well, on any given Sunday, they might score 45 points, but their defense might give up just that many. And um, there were, you know, they, they had some injuries, but there was nothing super glaring. It's just that they kind of, it's almost like the pack we talked about the defense and the offense, like the adjustments were made and then they kind of played not to lose. And guess what happened? They lost. But I, I don't think their defense is good enough. I think they've shown that over the past few weeks that their defense just isn't good enough to rely on it. They've just got to rely on Jared Goff and rely on the running game. And uh, sometimes it's going to work. Sometimes it's not going to. Yeah. I mean, they, when uh, Dalvin cook got hurt on the fumble, I mean, it, it seemed like it was a big, a big momentum change in the game and, and Detroit never took advantage of that. And then all of a sudden, so you figured that, okay, they were going to probably keep more passing since they weren't going to run. And they just left receivers open and not named Jefferson this time, but they, they left everybody else open. And that's, that's what killed them on that, that winning touchdown pass. I mean, there wasn't anybody within five, 10 yards of the receiver. I don't know if it was a massively blown coverage or what happened, but it was just like, that can't happen at that juncture of the game when you're when you're trying to win the game. So for me around the league, my my major player of the weekend, my bed shitter of the week all came in the same game. And that's the uh, the Jaguars and the Chargers. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars snapped an 18 game road losing streak with a 38 to 10 blowout of the Los Angeles Chargers. Trevor Lawrence uh, threw for 262 yards and three three touchdowns. And the 28 point win was the largest on-the-road win for the Jaguars since a 33-3 route of Minnesota in 2001. So the Jaguars definitely playing above and beyond right now. Trevor Lawrence showing that he can uh, throw the football, that they are they are certainly uh, under Doug Peterson. He, he, I think, has now matched the number of wins uh, uh, of what Urban Meyer, and they're tied for fifth on the uh, all-time list is what I think I saw in there. And wow. It's only after three games, right, for four <laughs> <laughs> uh, for Doug Peterson. So I think he's going to get his team turned around there in Jacksonville, but boy, what the hell happened to, to the chargers? And, and the other thing that uh, the, the mini controversy of that is letting Justin Herbert, who had a, a, a rib injury stay in through the whole game. I think it's admirable that they come out and they say, well, he wanted to be, be there with his teammates. I get it, but, but take the, all the I mean, starters the, out then. But, take but, all but, the yeah. but, but let's, let's look at what the, chargers did right they 
had an injured quarterback and yet their leading rusher had five rushes for 22 yards. That was the leading oh rusher for the charge as well. You have an injured quarterback. That's not how you uh, help them along as far Generally as the game is you concerned. rush the ball. <laughs> well, and it, then, the, then it was uh, really expensive defensively too, because Bosa went out with an injury and he, he looks like he's on IR now and maybe done for the season. So it just, that's insult to injury. So here's, you know, the chargers, every sink and frisky and mm, maybe not. So the chargers hopefully have a chance to bounce back against uh, Houston coming up. Uh, and then Neil, as you talked about Philadelphia, Philadelphia and Jacksonville could prove to be a good game because you've got these two young quarterbacks now and two quarterback, two quarterbacks who are, are kind of up and coming right uh, in, in, in Hertz and, and Lawrence. And it'll be interesting to see how that game comes out this week as well. But as far as the rest of week three, Neil, what else do you have to look at? So my bed shitter for the week was actually the Texans because they lost to the bears 23, 20 in a game in which Justin Fields was eight of 17, no touchdowns and two interceptions uh, and sacked five times for 24 yards. I don't understand how you can lose in the year 2022 to a team whose quarterback plays so utterly poorly. And yes, the bears had a lot of yards rushing. They had 281 yards rushing total, uh, but you know, stack the box, man. I mean, just, Stack the box. One more you should people. be able to stop running. For God's <laughs> sake, you shouldn't be able to allow a quarterback to win in a situation like that. If you know the quarterback sucks, do something about it as far as what the else they're going to try. I can't believe those, the Texans allowed the Bears to win that game. How about those back-to-back weeks for Mr. Fields then, huh? <laughs> Whoa. It is not looking like he is going to be the Bears quarterback and rises above the history of Bears quarterbacks. I think the other game that was surprising was the Kansas City Colts game, mainly because the Colts hadn't shown anything so far this year. The statistic that was striking for me was that Patrick Mahomes was 20 of 35 uh, for 262 yards. And I don't know, maybe it might be that having receivers matters and you can't just sort of rely on your quarterback to do everything. I'm not hoping that's the case, given that we're sort of in the same situation as Kansas City is. But mm-hmm. not having receivers might be making a difference for Kansas City. Yeah. Well, well speaking no of shortage. receivers, how about those uh, Las Vegas Raiders? <laughs> oh, and three. Uh, we've all seen the meme, Devontae Adams' agent, you know, as, as uh, Bradley Cooper from The Hangover, calling, you know, the cars on fire in the background. It's just a disaster calling the Packers front office, you know. Oh, maybe this wasn't such a good idea, you know. So, you know, Devontae's getting, not getting catches. He's, I don't know if I haven't done enough research where he, if he's like historically low, I know they're kind of keying on him, obviously. And the, the Raiders are 0-3. So I, I, it's a tough division, obviously, but 0-3 is their host, I think now. And then next week is going to be difficult again. So who knows? Maybe they'll find it. Maybe their pro or their Hall of Fame quarterback. And Mr. Carr will will find new footing, but man, zero and three for for them is a is a pretty big uh, big hole to start out in. And overall, there was no shortage of of nominees for bed shitter of the week either. While Green <laughs> Bay uh, overcame the heat and played well, Buffalo seemed to struggle uh, yeah. against the Dolphins, and they they came away with their first loss of the year as well. Uh, but that's a good look around the league for week three. We'll be talking about week four in a little bit. Uh, but first, we have our Packer player of the past. Hey, you're Antonio Freeman. And indeed, Antonio Freeman is our Packers player of the past this week. It is Patriots week. 
Um, our favorite Patriots game of all time was Super Bowl 31. Uh, Antonio Freeman being a star of that Super Bowl 31 game. Um, the photo is from us meeting Antonio Freeman at a meet and greet back in the game in Cincinnati last year. Um, and also the source of John's quote. Um, so Antonio Freeman, uh, Packers player, born in Baltimore, Maryland, went to high school in Baltimore, went to college at Virginia Tech. And in Virginia Tech, uh, he was a steady but not spectacular performer. Uh, his senior year, he had 38 catches for five touchdowns, 586 yards. So somebody who clearly had some skills, but somebody who uh, was underrated probably going into the draft. And so uh, one note of his college is that he did return 64 punts, um, including a touchdown return in college. Antonio Freeman was one of four Packers third round picks in the 1995 draft, along with Darius Holland, William Henderson, and Brian Williams um, after Craig Newsom in the first round. And obviously that 95 draft was central to us in Super Bowl uh, 31 in the 96 season. So like many rookie receivers, he did not start out as a star his entire uh, rookie year for the Packers in 95. He had eight receptions for 106 yards and one touchdown in week 15 in a game against the Saints. Um, in the playoffs, he only had four receptions for 43 yards, but he made his mark in the playoffs as far as somebody that we should be looking forward to as far as the future, because in the Atlanta wildcard game, he had a 75-yard punt return for a touchdown that moved the Packers ahead 14 to 10. So we had him on our radar coming into the 1996 season. Um, in the 96 season, after a few games, Robert Brooks went down injured. Um, and so we had wide receiver by committee, something that sounds familiar as far as what we're doing this year. And Antonio Freeman, who had done really very minimal effort in the past, we had Don Beebe, uh, Ter Terry Mickens, Andre Risen eventually, Derek Mays, Desmond Howard, and then we needed our Keith Jackson as a tight end for 10 touchdowns that year. Um, but Antonio wow. Freeman established himself in that 1996 season, 56 receptions, 933 yards, and nine touchdowns within that year. But it was really in the playoffs where he moved himself to a star. Um, in the San Francisco game, he had a fumble recovery for a touchdown. In the Carolina game, he had a reception for a touchdown. Um, in, the San in the Super Bowl, obviously he had the 81-yard touchdown that at the time was the record for the longest touchdown in Super Bowl history, something that was late later surpassed somehow by Jake DeLome and Machine Muhammad. But that, that play in Super Bowl 31 is, is possibly my favorite Packers play of all time. Um, you know, we, we are down 14, 10, the, the, we'd started out strong. Our defense had, you know, gotten an interception. We'd gotten a touchdown to Andre Risen earlier, but we're in a situation where we're now behind. And what, what do we do? We just throw a, a, you know, a, a pass down the sideline to Antonio Freeman. He catches it at the 50 and runs the last 50 yards. And uh, Pat Summerhall was just Summerhall was sort of shocked by the situation of how <laughs> you leave a speedster like Antonio Freeman uh, that open. And so um, I, I, I think that was the turning point as far as the Super Bowl was concerned, Desmond Howard notwithstanding. Uh, Antonio Freeman was a star for us for, for a number of years afterwards. Uh, as Packers fans, we like to forget Super Bowl 32 because of the pain at the end of it. But I'll remind you that Antonio Freeman had two touchdown receptions in Super Bowl 32, nine receptions for 126 yards. So if we were to have won that game, it was Antonio Freeman that was one of the reasons why we would have won that. Um, in the 97 season, he really had a breakout year, 81 receptions, 12 touchdowns, 98, 84 receptions, 14 touchdowns, including six touchdowns of greater than 57 yards in that wow. 1998 season. 
99, we had the change in coaching to Ray Rhodes. He only had six touchdowns that year, no touchdowns over 30 yards. Mike Sherman, 2000. Um, there was a change as far as the philosophy is concerned, and he only had two touchdowns over 30 yards in that 2000 season, but he had one of the most famous touchdowns in football season in football history. He did what? Um, the, the, oh, yes. the, the touchdown reception in overtime against the Vikings. Again, one of the, the happiest memories as far as uh, a far of the Freeman uh, reception is concerned. And also as a Packers fan going against the Vikings in overtime, turning the Packers season around for those uh, Mike Sherman Packers in 2000, who only ended up nine and seven. Um, in 2001, he, he dropped off a little bit. He blamed uh, Mike Sherman as far as changes in offensive philosophy. He went to uh, Philadelphia in 2002, saw the wisdom of his ways, came back to the Packers in 2003. Um, and fundamentally, his last game for the Packers was in 2003, in which uh, it was the fourth and 26 game was his last game for the Packers. But overall for the Packers, uh, 57 touchdowns, 431 receptions, 6,651 yards. Those are all regular season numbers. And then in the postseason, 47 receptions, 400, uh, 748 yards, 10 touchdowns receiving in the playoffs, as well as a, a touchdown a punt return in the playoffs. So a guy who really rose his game in the times when it mattered most. He was a star in the playoffs in particular, and um, somebody who's obviously beloved among Packers fans. The, the photo, if you're on YouTube, is of a meet and greet in Cincinnati where Jeff and I both went up and, and talked to him. He was a fun guy to talk to Yeah, really um, for, nice the, guy. for the brief period that we did and, and <clears throat> just beloved by Packers fans for obvious reasons. We were fortuitous to be uh, in the building. We, we kind of heard about it. Uh, we, we ended up next door to Max Pizza, where we stayed there in uh, uh, Covington. And um, so we, we were there. We had good seats. I think we were ready to go for when free came in. And uh, as you said, you and Jeff went up, paid the the, the price for the, <laughs> the, the nominal the photograph. fee yeah, the nominal was it, fee. 10 bucks wasn't uh, it i think it was 10 bucks yeah there yeah. was yeah he was selling autographs totally and things it. like that it was nice of him to stop in and and as we filtered out we decided to walk up and down main Strauss, and we ended up in another bar the name of which i have already forgotten but we're just sitting at a table there and we're hanging out and uh i'm facing the door and neil and jeff are looking at me and all of a sudden this guy comes walking through the door in a white t-shirt and big smile on his face and i just say hey you're Antonio Freeman. <laughs> he said, yes, I am. <laughs> he just he kept right on going. <laughs> he, he, he had to zip to the bathroom, you know, but when he came back, he said hi to us and, and uh, you know, thanks yeah. and things like that. It was very friendly, but it, he definitely was on a mission to do other things that night, but just kind of a whole weekend of us being in the right place at the right time for different totally. things and, and free just kind of totally. popped in. It was like, oh, hey, you're hanging out still. <laughs> <laughs> and Neil, the one big statistic you forgot to mention is that in July of 2009, Antonio Freeman, along with Dorsey Levins, the two of them were inducted into the Green Bay Packer Hall of Fame. And uh, the reason that we're talking about Antonio Freeman is uh, because we've got the New England Patriots coming into town this weekend in Green Bay Sunday. It's a 325 kickoff. The injury report, uh, I was looking at it here today, the New England Patriots quarterback, Mac Jones, has not been in practice. He's day-to-day, -day, John. He is day-to-day, -day, all right, and Brian Hoyer could be the quarterback for the Patriots. But another player for New England that is interesting, uh, Lawrence Guy was drafted by the Green Bay Packers in 2011, the same draft that brought Randall Cobb into town. Mm -hmm. Cobb and Guy are the only two 
players that are still in the league. And, and Lawrence Guy is really the epitome of a late bloomer. He arrived in New England in 2017. Uh, since then, he's appeared in 82 of 84 possible games, wow. starting 80 of them. And he came out of the last game with a shoulder injury and has a, a chance of getting that streak snapped and, and not playing in this game. But on the Packers side, a, a laundry list of players with some ongoing injuries as well. But what do you guys see for the game this Saturday? What's going to work out? So you mentioned that Mac Jones is injured. You know, Mac Jones on a positive sign was 22 of 32 for 321 yards, 10 yards per attempt last week. On the other hand, he had no touchdowns, three interceptions and three sacks. So very much a rookie quarterback, even though he's in his second year. And um, mm -hmm. it's not clear to me exactly how that's going to work um, as far as the Patriots are concerned and whether they're going to lose anything. They're going to lose development for Mac Jones, whether they're going to lose their chance to win or reduce their chance to win is a different story. So I actually did watch the Patriots Ravens game a fair amount last week in view of what's going to happen. And the, the impression that I came out most significantly was that the Patriots D-backs are really, really good in coverage. Um, they've got the ability to take out wide receivers. And so no matter who we have coming back or who we have playing, uh, I am concerned about the ability of our passing game to move the ball based on the strength of their receivers and the fact that we don't have truly established or perhaps more importantly, we don't have elite receivers. They have not, they have not established themselves yet as elite receivers. I think the Patriots D-backs are a major concern. On the other hand, the Ravens moved the ball and they moved the ball on the ground, especially. So Lamar Jackson had 218 yards passing, but he also had 107 yards rushing. The Ravens wow. overall had 188 yards rushing. Um, and it's the ability to move the ball on the ground that is where the Patriots have their weakness. And so I feel good about the fact that the Jones-Dillon tandem might have a week this week that is going to help open up the passing game, but also might just be solid on the ground in and of themselves. So I globally might be concerned about this game if it were in New England, uh, but this game is in Green Bay and I feel really good about that. The Packers are 23 and two at home, 23 and two at home since 2019, which is easily the best in the NFL. Uh, we're mm -hmm. number two in home points scored in the league in that time period. We're number one in home points allowed per game in that time period. So uh, I, I think that we've got advantages due to home field advantage, even with the Milwaukee crowd being present, even with John being present at the game, we still have an <laughs> advantage uh, as far as the home field advantage is concerned. And you know, our, our, our team is, is looking good as far as the defense is concerned. We're the sixth rated defense by yards in the NFL this year. Um, you know, the only real question is in the game is concerned is the rubber factor of Bill Belichick. Uh, Bill Belichick is now in his 48th consecutive year as a coach in the NFL. Um, I, I know as Packers fans, we like to dismiss Belichick in the con context of Lombardi, but 48 consecutive years as a coach in the NFL is, is incredible. Um, really, truly unprecedented. It is the record for most consecutive years, and he's now in his 23rd year in New England. And you know, that's really where the, the, to me, the rubber factor in the game is, is he certainly has the ability to scheme against Aaron Rodgers. Um, Bill Belichick is three and two against the Packers during that time period, going back to 2002. Um, and I think that that is the one risk factor we have is that Belichick is going to figure out a way in order to control Aaron Rodgers and hopefully from his perspective, hopefully not from our perspective, be able to control our ground game. 
So that to me is the, the biggest question mark as far as the game is concerned. The other thing I'd say from a Packers Patriots history perspective, we're five and six against the Patriots overall in the regular season, six and six overall because of that glorious postseason game in the Super Bowl 31. Um, our last three games against the Patriots, uh, we are one and two. Mason Crosby scoring a lot of points has been the key. The one of those uh, three, uh, those three games that was a victory, Mason Crosby had 14 points in a 26-21 Packers victory. So hopefully Mason Crosby will be getting on the scoreboard, although more importantly, Hopefully Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon are going to have a ton of yards on the ground and do what Lamar Jackson did to the Patriots. Also important. Tom Brady is not the quarterback of the new England Patriots for this matchup either. So do you think with the, the corners playing the wide receivers tight, or as you, as you observed last week, do you think it might be Tunyon time? It's always Tunyon time. Yeah, Jeff, your answer to any question is, is it, is it Tunyon time? I try. I, I want to see him get involved. Jeff. I want to see him do well. So maybe, maybe this is his week. Who knows? Maybe he's got a couple touchdowns and, and 125 yards in him this week. If, if well, sort of, sort of more, more, more globally, are our tight ends going to be able to exploit their yeah. linebackers in coverage? Um, we have not seen that as a, as a general feature of the Packers offense this year, but it's certainly mm -hmm. something that is in the wheelhouse maybe this is the week where we're going to see that happen. And a recurring theme on the podcast is that Jeff loves those tight ends. <laughs> All righty. Um, so Neil to count, to kind of piggy piggyback on what you were saying, we'll kind of stay with that theme uh, since 2007 home records, Neil, you, you alluded to it 23 and two um, since 2019. But um, so the Patriots actually are the uh, number one, home team since uh, 2007 with an 8-11 winning percentage, 99-23. and 23. Uh, Following behind them, the Packers are number two, 94-25-2 and two with a 7-85 winning percentage. Again, this is since 2007. So basically, Aaron Rodgers at home is pretty good. The rant that I want to get on, not necessarily about the game, the teams, the players it is, it's about, as Neil mentioned, a Milwaukee game. The the fans. This is the one of the two gold package games. And and I'll throw my what possibly is an unpopular opinion out there, but in my opinion, it will be a glorious day in Green Bay when they eliminate the gold package games and just sell the ten home games uh, or whatever it ends up being with the changes in the schedule as an entire package. The 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 stigma of the Milwaukee fan. Yeah, I'm sure that when your grandpa went to the games that he was able to drive into town and park next to the stadium and walk right in just in time for kickoff with a beverage in his hand. It's not like that anymore. And it hasn't been for a long time. And you would think that these people would realize that when they're spending uh, 30, 40, 50 minutes in line uh, and kickoff is happening and they're still waiting to get into the building. It's a 325 kickoff. If you're not in Green Bay by noon, you're late. I don't mean in the stadium. I don't mean at Lambeau Field. Just be in Green Bay. I'm not going to complain about people coming into town and, and spending money in our city, but you have to be in town to do that. Get into Green Bay, get your parking spot, get your burger at Kroll's, go over to uh, Stadium View, the bar and doozies, get your beverages, check out the <clears throat> Bart Star Plaza because 97.3 The Game has their setup there. They're the Milwaukee station now covering the games. Walk around, be part of the atmosphere, and then get into the stadium and be fans that are going to cheer on the game. The weather's going to be nice. Spend the day in Green Bay. We're happy to have you there. 
That's quite a rant, although you somehow managed to not mention that the Milwaukee fans need to go to lot nine as well. Yeah, they can go to lot nine. They can go to lot two. They can walk all the way around. I got them from from Kroll's to, you know, they got to pass by us eventually. (laughs) Just show up and experience the tailgate is what you're saying. Exactly. I mean, that's just show up, not not just outside, which is great having people part of the game day experience. Like I said, spending your money in Green Bay. I love it. But showing up, that has just been probably the biggest, I think, negative comment about the Milwaukee fans. And the, and where it's going to get worse is the Titans game later this year is a Thursday night. My goodness, I, 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 I'm shuddering to think what that, that game in November is going to be like. But this should be much better. It's a 325 kickoff. It's a Sunday. It's a nice day. Yard work be damned. Let's get to Green Bay and, and have a good day in Green Bay and go pack go. So what are you saying? They just, they, they leave their house in Mequon at, uh, you know, four hours before game time and they just drive up and they, I think if they leave the house by 10 o'clock at the latest, they should be fine. Yeah. No, but I'm saying historically, this is as, oh, as a tailgating yeah. denizen. Um, this is what you've noticed between the, the regular season ticket package and, and the, the Milwaukee uh, season yes. ticket package. Yes. Thinking that you can just drive into town and be there 30 minutes before kickoff and walk right into the stadium. It doesn't happen that way anymore. It's just not no. going to happen. Well, it doesn't happen anywhere like that. Right. That's not a right. thing. Well, in Green Bay, once upon a time, yes, you could. I mean, right. you could even drive up on game day and buy your tickets in the parking lot from someone else selling them less than face value 30 minutes before kickoff. That was a yeah. thing once as well. It's just not like that. And it's time for those gold package fans to get with the times and, and, and get into town and let's go pack go. Otherwise, around the league, interesting news. Apparently, Clay Matthews has stated that he is done with football, that he's retiring. Well, he hasn't played since 2019. Uh, just one of those things that came out that uh, he said, well, I guess I'm officially done. We'll see if he signs the proverbial one-day contract and retires in Green Bay. But as we get ready to wrap up tonight's show, Jeff, we're going to keep it in your corner for a bedtime story. So uh, we're keeping the picture up, and that is Super Bowl 31. I know we've mentioned this a few times tonight. Uh, but Super Bowl 31 was a pivotal moment, uh, not only in, in Packers history, somewhat as in, um, in New England history as well. Now, New England had already been to a Super Bowl in the 80s and were thoroughly embarrassed uh, when they met the Bears in the 85 Super Bowl. Uh, the Bears were just the one-year juggernaut. So after that, they really they were just as bad, if not were Actually, they were worse. Than the Packers. I mean, they were they were bad. New England was bad. Um, so then uh, Robert Kraft bought the team in 1994 um, for an unbelievably high price of two hundred million dollars. Everybody thought he was nuts. You know, this is an awful team. They're just the laughing stock. They're not the pride of Boston in any way, shape, or form. It's the Celtics. It's the Red Sox. It's the Bruins. It's not the Patriots. So he buys the team. They're not still very good. Then along comes Bill Belichick. Now, what's interesting about this, too, is that Ron Wolf, before he hired Mike Holmgren, also had his eye on um, uh, Bill Parcells. And, and so Parcells really brought the, really helped kind of re energize uh, and bring the franchise up. So in Super Bowl 31, so these are two teams kind of on the rise. So the Packers obviously have had good success. The the uh, Patriots 
have had more success, at least when it comes to Super Bowl. And as I mentioned before, home wins and things like that. But this was kind of a clash of the old school, if you will. So the Packers coming to rise 29 years had it been since they had been in a Super Bowl. And there's just a lot of interesting things. I know we were, you know, just we're out of college. This was this was Mecca for us to be in here. Obviously, with Favre, things were going well. But to actually have the Packers in the Super Bowl was was so fulfilling. We talked about this a little bit um, in our earlier podcast uh, with some fans from Cincinnati as well. When you've been through really, really awful teams and a, a drought of, of, you know, almost a generation that when you get back to the Super Bowl, it is it's so sweet. It's so memorable. It's just so amazing. And to kind of back that up. So I was in doing some of the research, you know, we've, we've talked, uh, you know, with, with Antonio Freeman, his huge play, um, and it was really close. Uh, it was played January 26, 1997 at the Louisiana Superdome. So you had the whole Favre connection with being from the South. Um, it was a really close game. And really at the end, um, in the fourth quarter, the Packers, both defenses played well, but this pick, you know, Reggie White, he just took over the game and solidified it. So in this game, there were a total of seven Hall of Famers, five players, uh, Leroy Butler, newly enshrined Leroy Butler, Favre and Reggie White. Um, and then on the Patriots side, you had Ty Law and Curtis Martin. And then two coaches or general managers, Parcells is in the Hall of Fame, and then Ron Wolf. So here's a, I watched the game. I don't remember this at all. The halftime show. Gentlemen, <laughs> the, 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 halftime half, the, the halftime show was us going out and playing football in the snow. That's what the halftime show that was. That was the halftime show. So <laughs> for those that were watching at home, they got to be treated to the Blues Brothers, James Brown, and ZZ Top. Kind of an eclectic mix. As Neil said, we were outside playing in the snow. Um, so a couple of other things. So in, in researching this, and I know that, I remember my father and just all Packer fans. It was just, it was so organic that, okay, they're back in, in, in the Super Bowl. And in Cliff Crystal's um, The Greatest Story in Sports, he had some statistics that I found just fascinating. So up until this point, through the, fir the first 30 Super Bowls, they sell Super Bowl programs. So if you go to the game and then later on, you could buy a program um, either mail order, not at this point necessarily online, but you could buy a program. So up until this point, it was, you know, kind of a reference or whatever. So for the Packer game, and I have mine still, there were over 950,000 programs sold for Super Bowl 31. And that may not seem like a lot. Through the first 30 Super Bowls, the highest amount or the, the most that were sold was less than 700,000. <laughs> so it was this huge increase in Super Bowl programs. In addition to that, so the hats that the players wear in the locker room, the winner, the winning hats. So more than 650,000 replica hats that were worn by the Packers in the locker room after the game were sold. Again, that may not sound like a lot in today for today, that broke the previous record by more than 200,000. So the Packer fans wanted their stuff. In addition to that, take you back, again, this is, you know, early 1997. 
your VHS tapes, right? So before DVDs, you had your VHS tapes. So they would release, and I think they still do this on DVD, but they release the the Super Bowl 31 or the, the Super Bowl champions like video. Mm-hmm. And so when they released the Super Bowl 31 champions VHS video, more than 65,000 people purchased this within, the, within five days of its release. And that made it the fastest selling sports video ever. How about that? Now, I was here in Minneapolis, so I was not able to make it back to um, Green Bay. Or I was in Green Bay for the game, but came back here, did not see the victory parade. So that was another kind of Packer lore kind of thing. So again, the, the population of Green Bay proper is, is just over 100,000. So it was estimated that 100,000 people lined the five-mile parade route, and there was another 60,000 people that were waiting in Lambeau. It was a cold damp overcast day everybody stuck stuck it out and welcomed the packers back and it, it was truly something memorable like i said we we still have memorabilia and um it was just it really energized the franchise obviously they made it to the super bowl in the next year the results weren't what we wanted never um, watch a super bowl at jp's house yes that's it was <laughs> it's all jp's fault that's right um and we've never watched one there again that being said, um, like I said, it, it was really kind of an inflection point up for, for both franchises. Obviously, then you know, Bledsoe gets hurt, Brady steps in many, many Super Bowls later. But so Super Bowl 31, you know, very near and dear, obviously, to to uh the three of us here and, and many of our friends and family as well. So just wanted to take you a trip down amnesia lane tonight from Super Bowl 31. I think a key element of amnesia lane is the fact, you know, we all watched the Super Bowl at Janine's apartment and yep. we have almost no photos of that entire night because we were just enjoying the moment. We were in the yep. moment. The game was the game. At halftime, we all went out and played football. We were so hyped up about the Packers being ahead. And then after we all went to downtown and downtown Green Bay post game is, is one of the Mayhem. most memorable nights of <laughs> my entire life. Um, yeah. And it well, snowed. Also- it was snowing that night too, right? I mean, it was yeah. like perfect, and not heavy but- snow, but just you know, there was there's flakes there was falling. Flakes Everybody, it was yeah, it was it was truly memorable. And what made it you know still memorable, the great game, but then also amongst being amongst friends, amongst friends, but just the sort of the the the, the global happiness that was in downtown Green Bay. You know, people just being stupid and just sort of, I, I don't even know how to experience this victory. Releasing right? I mean, it was, the angst. It was just or, releasing yeah. the angst and, and yeah. realizing that we won the Super Bowl and this was just a moment of pure happiness. That's what it was. It was just pure happiness, a pure release yeah. of all of those emotions. And, and there's just nothing like that experience. I mean, I'm wearing the jersey that I wore on that night. I'm wearing the, the Favre jersey. Oh, well played. I've got, I didn't wear mine, but but it still exists and it's it's seen I, I, better I, days I, I, i've been careful with it too uh yes it's not <laughs> deteriorated too badly but that night i mean you know i can i can talk about the places i go i can talk about the music that we played you know just driving to downtown green bay um in yes. dean's vehicle and listening to uh no <laughs> doubt and gwen stefani and i can you know all of the other music wow. that we had on just sort of just yeah so psyched that we were the team that won the Super Bowl and when that had seemed so improbable for the entire history as far as our lives are concerned. 
Your other piece of trivia, Jeff, about that halftime show, the Blues Brothers, as you know, John Belushi having died, Jake and Elwood, the original Blues Brothers, Dan Aykroyd was joined that night by Jim Belushi and John Goodman as Z and Mighty Mac. The answer to your trivia question of the the names of the performing Blues Brothers, Jake, Elwood, Z, Mighty Mac. That's going pretty deep. I I think I would have just either seen, uh, like to have seen either James Brown or ZZ Top, a strange mix, but nonetheless. um, And I guess that's, we we could segue then to this year's uh, Super Bowl, our upcoming Super Bowl that has been released as well. So I can tell the enthusiasm here about the so what that artist is. Rihanna has signed up to be the uh, the premier artist, and and uh, like the last few years, she may get uh, other people to come in and join her. But I do have bad news. I was looking to get an update on the uh, Kansas City Tampa Bay game, and what I found out is that it looks like Coolio will not be joining Rihanna because he passed away unexpectedly at the age of fifty nine. Grammy Award winner, really for his rap hit "Gangsta's Paradise," Coolio. As wow. <laughs> but 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 you know R- R- rihanna being a halftime performer i think you know there's been a lot of uh people who've made fun of this but i think that she's a great halftime performer i just that, wish that she would uh do some covers of some foreigner songs from the 70s because i think <laughs> that a rihanna cover of foreigners urgent would be one of the great covers of all time Ooh. and her song catalog i think is a lot deeper than people expected and she's yeah. also quite young she you know hit the scene at the age of 17 is when she had her first top 40 hits. Uh, so she's definitely uh, part of a younger generation. The interesting thing about that, when you talk about, you know, what songs are used to hype up the the players and the crowd, and you're talking about Guns N' Roses and bands yeah. like that, ACDC, Queen, obviously Queen's not gonna play that. Well, I was gonna say, yeah, these, these Freddie Mercury, you can't really prop him up, but yeah. Right, that are used for, you know, that are used for getting the crowd ready to go, the teams ready to go. And then and then you'd certainly change directions as far as generational draw for that halftime show. But like I said, it'll be interesting to see who else she may choose to join her on stage when halftime rolls around. Yeah, or you, you could argue that the NFL is looking globally too, right? Because the broadcast is going globally. So who's going to appeal more, you know, the Guns and Roses might be a little more of a niche than uh, than the, Rihanna. I, I think the bigger issue is that they already know that the hardcore football fans are watching the game. They don't need to appeal the hardcore football fans for the halftime show. Yeah, they don't need to be entertained. Yeah, they're they're trying to to draw the people who are switching over to the Puppy Bowl at halftime to make sure that they don't uh, switch yes. over. <laughs> yes. All right. <laughs> any more thoughts uh, around the league coming into Week Four, Neil, Jeff? Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go. It should be an interesting weekend. And as we look to expand our social media footprint, for now you can get information on the GBC Podcast at Green Bay Chat on Twitter and on Facebook at the GBC Podcast Green Bay Chat. If you're watching us on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button. It's free. And may you fully appreciate the magnitude of your impending good fortune. Thanks for joining us. Good night. Good night.